Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter. Of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that, that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see you, Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am here will my, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorif glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come to your, for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard him from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Let's pray this morning. 
Lord God, we just come to you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to um, be here amongst all your believers, Lord. As a new year rolls in, Lord, we just ask that you bless it. Uh, Lord, that you would give us light at the end of the tunnel. And we know there's light through you. We just thank you for that light. And uh, we just ask this morning that Pastor Jackie um, would share the words that uh, would lift you up. And the Spirit would move in the church this morning. And Lord, I just uh, I thank you so much for uh, Vince and Cheryl being here this morning. Um, answered prayers, just seeing Vince again. Uh, we thank you for healing. Lord, I, I pray for my sister this morning as she's struggling in the hospital. I pray, Lord, that you would heal her and you bring her home. And we just thank you for today. We just ask that you bless the service today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue. Originally, I thought I could do chapter 20 in two parts. Turns out it's going to be three. This is why it takes so many years for me to get through a book. But as we uh, look at it, we're going to talk about the, the section. You remember I told you this is a transitional chapter moving to the, uh, um, the, his departing discourses, right, as he's laying it out for the disciples. We're dealing with the last week, so we're, we're in Passover week. Christ will be crucified at the culmination. We had the five acts, right, or the anointing of Bethany, the triumphal entry, and today the Greeks seek an audience with Christ. And this is a particularly interesting one because there's no uh, indication that they ever got their audience. Jesus goes into a discourse about uh, his, his death that was coming. And, and I think he answers it. And uh, you could probably make a case that uh, they're following along with, with uh, uh, Andrew and Philip as they come to Christ. But... Uh, we know that the Gentiles are only able to go so far in the temple, the court of the Gentiles. So all Greeks couldn't leave the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles, or uh, just outside the court of women, tended to be where Jesus would spend most of his time ministering. So the, the point being that if Jesus is ministering in the court of the women, uh, which is the next court in, if Jesus is in that place, if he's gathered there, then as the, the Gentiles want audience, Jesus has to come to them. You guys tracking with me? They can't come to him. Big sign. You can't go any further than this on judgment of death. So they were very serious about Gentiles entering in too far into the temple. So the scripture that we're going to look at today begins in verse 20. So we can see context, we read that, that whole section. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these guys are Gentiles. Greeks were common in the Decapolis, the, the area of Galilee. And we know that these guys, they went and sought out Philip. Now Philip is a Greek name. Maybe they're just taking a shot out at the dark. Maybe <clears throat> Philip <clears throat> has that in his background. Uh, but he was from Bethsaida in Galilee. So he is from the area of the Decapolis. And uh, it may be why they would go to him. And they asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So it says Philip went to Andrew. Here's what we always see about Andrew, right? Every time we see Andrew, he's doing what? He's bringing someone to Jesus. So I think there's a reasonable uh, uh, way to see that they would want to bring it's just a question of which part of the court were they in when this takes place and so when they come to jesus philip went and told andrew andrew and philip went and told jesus hey there's some gentiles who want to see you they they're asking for an audience and so jesus answered and says the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified now there is an answer for the gentiles whether or not they are the ones who are able to hear it uh, that Jesus gives here. It is the hour of the glorification of the Son of Man. Isn't it interesting that one of the 
maybe darkest periods of history that we see, the crucifixion of Christ, he sees as his glorification. When the Son of Man, the hour for his glorification is come. Now, he's going to tell us why that is as well, right? Because the Son of Man is about to be lifted up, isn't he? He's about to be lifted up. He's about to be placed on the cross. And so there is something that he wants people to to understand, to take back from that ideal. Listen, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. As Jesus is speaking here, Whether or not he's in direct conversation with the Greeks is is less material. But what he's saying matters. What he's saying is that uh, in order for true relationship or conversation with Jesus to take place, it takes place through the cross. It's after he dies that they will be able to see Jesus. Jesus is saying that this it's through the crucifixion, it's through the sacrifice that God has made, it is through this that they will be able to enter in, that they will be able to come to him, that they will be able to see him. And truly that's what we're going to see as we finish studying through John. If you take the time to read through the book of Acts, you're going to see God moving in the lives of the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles will see a marvelous light has dawned. This was part of the role of Messiah. But the point that Jesus is making is you can't really enter into that until the cross. You enter into that through the cross. For he will say in John 14, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except how? Through me. We enter through him. And how is it that we do that? It's not just because he is. It's because of what he has done. In in his making atonement for men. For accomplishing eternal salvation, as Hebrews will put it. This is, this is the act through which the Gentiles will enter. This is the act through which you can know Christ. It's great that we have a, a Christmas Eve service. And the Christmas Eve service was a lot of fun this year. We had packed house, which I was kind of blown away about. And uh, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, right? And it's marvelous time and... and uh, a great opportunity for us to worship and give glory to God. But it's not his birth that saved us. It's not the fact that he existed, that he was born. It's his death, burial, and resurrection. It's the, it's the thing that he came to do. He was born to die. And he's going to give us these same ideals. And he wants the, the Gentiles to understand, right? He wants the Greeks that are seeking audience to know there's no audience with me except through the cross. This is vital, a vital part of our understanding about salvation. There is no salvation. There is no, uh, um, there's no communion with Christ apart from a cross. No cross. No Christ. No salvation. It is through that that we are able to enter in. To come boldly before the throne of grace. It's by the blood of Christ. I've referred many times to Jude. My, my father's favorite benediction, and he passed it on to me. My favorite benediction, Jude 24 and 25. And we talk about this. I often talk about this when I am sharing with a brother or sister who's lost someone. And, and I'll say that the experience that the person that, who died, the experience they had as a believer is that they come face to face with Jesus who presents them before the Father blameless, perfect. Not because they are blameless and perfect in their own right, but because of the blood of Christ. Because Jesus Christ makes us. He who knew no sin 
became our sin sacrifice that we might become the righteousness of God. It is an act imputed upon us by Christ, right? He puts his righteousness upon us. I didn't become righteous overnight. Now, my life here on earth is a life spent striving for, uh, to be sanctified, to be following in his footsteps, to be more like him. But it's also filled with failure. A proverb says, a righteous man falls. Yeah. And what does he do? He rises again. The point of a righteous man is not that he never falls. The point of a righteous man is that he does what? He rises again. Right? He rises again. He confesses his sin. The Father forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we go on. And we move on toward him. But there's a day the Bible talks about. The glorification that we'll have when we see Jesus face to face. When that battle ends. And our salvation is absolutely realized. What a glorious day that is. We enter into that the moment we close our eyes on earth. And death becomes a doorway to our Savior. Presenting us to the Father perfect. That's what he has accomplished in the crucifixion. That's what we see in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That he has borne our iniquity. That our chastisement fell upon him. Read Isaiah 53. We turned as it was our faces from him. We esteemed him smitten, stricken by God and afflicted. This is what Christ has accomplished. And so he's pointing to this. Now, we'll delve more into that when we get into next Next week's sermon, before I preach next week's sermon uh, this week, and we get out of order. But we'll get into that and talk about the witness of prophecy in, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But here, he wants them to understand. Here's the thing. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In John 17, we're going to read this, the high priestly prayer of Christ in six months, probably, when we get to John 17. But as we work our way there, here's what he writes in John 17. Verse 4, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Glorify me. And the, and, and the Father, we'll see here, even fulfills that promise. Now, not only is he talking about what, how does this work out with the Greeks and what does he mean by the Son of Man will be glorified, but truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear fruit. What's the fruitfulness that he talks about? Unless the seed is buried and dies and, and brings forth the plant, right? If I plant one, I'm not a farmer, so you guys can give me lessons later. <clears throat> if I plant one kernel, one, one seed of corn, when that plant comes forth, there will be far more than one seed on that plant, right? And so the fruitfulness that will come when Christ dies. The fruitfulness hasn't happened yet. People flock to him and they profess their faith and they profess their belief and the proof of the pudding is in the eating of the pudding. So we'll see... Of post, we see the, the fruitfulness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches a message and people come forth. And the Bible declares that they were saved. These were saved. They've come. The, the groundwork is laid. The word of the Father goes out. They come. They're drawn. Jesus Christ brings life in and through them. We see this beautiful picture taking place of the fruitfulness. But that fruitfulness only happens... Because Jesus died. And there, I'm sure, is a number of principles that we want to apply in that idea moving forward. Because Jesus says in verse 25, he says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So we have the paradox that is the teachings of Christ that run counterintuitive to the world. 
We have the teachings of Christ that are calling us to recognize that if you try to hold on to your life here, you will lose it. And that's all there is. You can truly live for life in this place, and that's all the life it is. And it's such a waste. Or you can let that life go and live for what Christ has to offer. Here's the principle for the followers. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Nobody gets out of this world apart from dying. It's one per one. Everybody is going to go there. Doesn't matter how hard you hold on to life. Doesn't matter how hard you try to keep on living. Eventually, what happens? We die. That's just the nature of life on this rock. You can hold on to your life, but if you do, you will lose it. But if you hate your life in this world, if you set aside your life for the view of something that is greater than your life, something that transcends your love of self and brings you to the place where you can experience life, true life in this world, eternal life. Jesus talked about this multiple times. All the Gospels talk about it. In Matthew 10, 38, he says, Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So the call of Jesus to follow me is a call following him all the way to crucifixion, right? Doesn't Paul write about this in Galatians chapter 2? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's it, it stopped being about me. He, say, he goes on in verse 39 in Matthew 10. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake. We'll find it. We find our fulfillment in Christ, not in self. Self. When has yourself ever been satisfied? Go ahead, tell me. When was the last time you sat down at Thanksgiving dinner and you ate the most perfect Thanksgiving dinner of your life? Well, Christmas just happened. Most perfect Christmas dinner of your life and said, I never have to do that again. Till two hours later? And you're pulling out the leftovers? When's the last time you said, remember when you were kids? <laughs> Some of you guys don't have to think so far back. Others, long time. And you would tell your parents, this is the only thing I've ever wanted. <laughs> How many parents heard that from their kids? Oh, yeah, this is all. I've, if, if I get this, this is the only thing I'll ever want. Oh, yeah. I have sat inside the... Harley dealership and heard my 50-year-old self utter those words. <laughs> and the reality is, you know, 10 minutes after you bring this incredible thing home, you see something else. Because self is never satisfied. It is a... Our self has an insatiable appetite for that which can't be satisfied. C.S. Lewis said that if you are driven by a desire that can't be satisfied here on earth, perhaps that desire means you desire for something otherworldly. For Christ, self's never satisfied. You find your life. You find, oh, this is it. This is all I'll ever want. Yeah. Pretty soon, all that, all that glitters it's not gold, right? And nothing gold can stay. We don't have that. That desire is driven from us. We need to recognize that our life, satiation, satisfaction is found when you know Christ. And then a life of satisfaction is a life that is pursuing or desiring to grow daily in our knowledge and understanding of who he is. I have found greater satisfaction in pursuing Christ than anything else in my life. Now that doesn't mean... <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not always, or not also taken up by desires for shiny things. It happens to everybody. But I know deep satisfaction in my pursuit of Christ. Like nothing else. Like nothing else. To know him is the greatest uh, uh, pursuit in life. Matthew 16, 
Verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and forfeits his soul? You see the context in which he's talking about. The, the tone in which he speaks of our life. What will a man give in return for his soul? What does it profit you if you... We, right, you guys remember the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? I think it's been talked about more in sermons than ever it was on the bumper of somebody's truck. But the idea is this pursuit of stuff is never going to satisfy and it is not going to save a man's soul. But the pursuit of stuff can close your eyes to the pursuit of Christ. Mark 8, 34, and calling the crowd to him and his disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? See the context in which he talks about saving your life, holding on to your life, living your life, the pursuit of life. Hosea, when Hosea chapter 6, the Lord is, is laying out for uh, Israel that which he desires. What should I say to you? What is it that the Lord desires of us? What do you want from us, God? I want you to be faithful to me. It's what God says. I want your faithful love, and I want you to know me. I want your faithful love, and I want you to know me. Which is the same thing we all want from any relationship, right? Nobody is looking for someone, some significant person in their life that's unfaithful, right? You know what? I want to find a really unfaithful friend. Nobody does that. Why? That's part of the fingerprint of God in our lives, right? That we, that we honor faithfulness. Every tribe, every tongue, honor faithfulness. God says, I want you to be faithful, and I want you to know me. To pers the pursuit of God is the denial of self, right? The pursuit of God is the denial of self. Over and over again, he talks about this idea, right? You got to deny yourself and follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross, follow me. We've got to turn away from all the things that will blind us. When Jesus talked about the, the sowing, right? The sower who went out to sow. You remember that there was a seed that was choked out by the cares of this world. Do you remember that? Read Matthew 13. There's a seed choked out by the cares of this world. What? Did we not deny himself and follow Christ, but was only focused on self? You may live that life out to the fullest, but it is not a life that leads to salvation. In verse 26 of John 12, the Lord goes on, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There's two promises here in verse 26. There's the promise of the presence of God. Some of the most incredible things that... that uh, um, Old Testament saints heard from the Lord is that I will never leave you or forsake you. Joshua, don't be afraid or dismayed because wherever you go, I'll be with you, right? Don't be, Moses, I will be wherever you go, I'll be with you. When you put the sole of your foot, I will give that place to you. The promise of God's presence. He lays out for us here that the servant has that promise. If anyone serves me, you must follow me and where, and where I am, there will be my servant also. You'll be with me. You'll be with me. And here's the idea of the, of the servant. <laughs> this is the whole concept of being a follower of Christ. That there's, we, we, we have developed a hierarchy, right, within, within the body of Christ. And I don't know if our hierarchy it equals him. Certainly there is biblical basis for all the things that we do. But the, the point is we all have a, a part to play within the body of Christ, don't we? Every one of us. We're not all the same part. There's diversity within the body of Christ, and there ought to be. We, we work so hard in, I know for Kathy and I, 
in our marriage, we spent, let's just, we'll just round, we'll use round numbers. We spent 20 years, some might argue longer, we spent 20 years trying to make each other into the other person. You guys ever done that? Why don't you, why aren't you like me? What's wrong with you? How do you, how can you think that way? Your thinker's broken. I have come to help you think logically, dear. And then she would say, how can you be so emotionally dead? What is wrong with you? There's something broken in you. Now, both of those things are true. There's broken things in, in each of us. But the reality of, of marriage is that in, in a marriage, we complete one another. And we complete one another by our strengths covering their weakness or their strengths covering ours and sometimes vice versa. It's in the diversity that brings strength in a marriage, not in trying to make the other person think like you think, but rather utilizing their giftings and your giftings to make one. Know what the Bible said? The two shall become one, right? Unified. That's the word. To be unified, not, not dissolved. Someone lost their entire personality and became you. And trust me, if she was me, I would not want her. I, probably some of my deepest questions is why she wants me in the first place. I'm not fun. And I'm cranky and grumpy and, you know, the, the long list of things, reasons why to stay away, are, those are long. But somehow she waded through all those. And this is her price. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> but we spent a lot of years having this argument, okay? Now, how I want to, I want to bring that into the, to the idea of the body of Christ because we do the same thing in the body of Christ. We read stories about Mary and Martha, right? We've read several of those. And we see Martha was a servant and Mary was a worshiper. And we, we talked about those a, a couple of weeks ago. And what happens so often is one tries to turn the other into the other. And you don't need to do that. Jesus never did that. The point is that we're all to serve. Romans 14 says, to our own master, we'll give account, right? He says in Romans 14, who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master, he'll stand or fall. Last I checked, his master was not none of us. No? I am charged by God to watch over the souls of the sheep that he gives me, and I'll give account for that, but I'm, I'm not to judge another man's servant. I can come and say, hey, this is dangerous territory. You're, you're, you're straying from the flock, right? But that's not judging another man. So I can't come to somebody and say, you know, you need to worship differently. I knew this, this lady, homeless lady. I was growing up, homeless lady. Okay, slow down. Let your mind run with your mouth. So I knew this lady who ministered to homeless people. She was a single mom. Uh, she, she had girls, no boys. Her husband had uh, abandoned her. She lived out in the desert in Yucca Valley when we were in Yucca Valley. Most kind, loving person I have ever known. Super loving lady. Um, you know, not, not well off like you can imagine. Sing, single mom, raising her family alone. She never did not pick up strangers on the side of the road. And so I would go talk to her. What are you doing? You have no idea what these people are like. You're picking up men on the side of the road and you're bringing them home and you're feeding them and you're taking care of them and, and this is going to be bad. This is not good. It's not okay. And she would say, you know, I just really feel like this is an area where the Lord has granted me protection. And he wants me to do it. So most of the time I try not to argue with God. If I find myself in an argument with somebody who says God told me, usually my response is we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So she said, oh, it's just God's, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I knew this woman. I'm not prescribing this for anyone, by the way. 
I knew this woman for probably eight years, and she did it forever and never one time had, I'm sure people stole from her, who knows, but no, no bad, no horrific things happened. And at the end of eight years, she had back surgery. She had had a bad back, and there were some complications with medication that they gave her. She was on medication, two different kinds of medication that didn't mesh, and she died as a result of the mixing of those meds to some doctor's oversight. And at her service, you would not believe how many street people were there that this woman had loved at one time or another in her life, and it was super powerful, and it was such an amazing blessing. And the, the, the small, the, the lesson I take away from that, there's diversity in the body of Christ. And, and I'm not telling, I, I don't want to tell you what God wants you to do. I want you to know because you have a relationship with the Lord and he's laid it out to you. And then I want you to walk in it. If God's called you to, to teach or be a part of a ministry at the church or to go to the, some of the old folks home and bring hope or to whatever he's called you to do, do it. Stand up in the power of Christ and be who you're called to be as a servant because he says he'll be with you. And that's when I, when I think about this, I always think about that woman. And I just say, the Lord was with her all the time. I guarantee she picked up dirt bags, dirty, good-for-nothing people that would have probably robbed and killed any number of folk. But they never touched her. Not one time. And to me, that was the proof of the puddings in the eating. Hey, man, she was covered by God. And she was a, a blessing of a servant. And here in the body of Christ, I want us to grow and to flourish. And you don't grow, folks, by coming and listening to me talk. You don't grow because you heard 200 sermons and you never missed one. <laughs> you were here that one time Jackie ended early. You remember? <laughs> but you grow when you give, when you serve. When you take part in something, that's how we grow. When we allow the gifts that God's given us to be used. And you have a promise from God here. The servant who serves me, I will be with him. The presence of God. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm here. I'll be with you. No matter whether it's hard or, or whatever's going on. The second, prob uh, the second promise is, if anyone serves me... You have the promise of honor. The Father will honor him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Those are pretty magical words. I will tell you, I, I coached football for 13 years. Well, actually 17 years. I coached four years when we came to Idaho. But when I, when I was coaching in California, I was a head coach of a pretty successful football team we built a pretty good program but I would talk to the I would talk to the freshmen and I, I it's it's and I would tell them what would you give by your senior year to be able to put on a ring for a state championship what would you give in practice what would you how, how much would you be here what would you what would you devote to that goal because I promise you, I'll have conversation with you when you're a senior. And if you fell short of that goal, you will say, I wish I'd have gave more. Now, that's a insignificant illustration of what happens when we stand before Christ. Right? What would you give to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Because that day when you're there, it's too late to go back, right? And say, oh, I would have done that different. I would have done this different. I would have spent less time. I'll tell you right now. I'll spend less time being critical. And, uh, and I spend more time wanting to follow Christ. Give him worthiness. Cast 
cast my cares upon him, follow him. I, I spend less time looking at what everybody else is doing and more time thinking, what can I do? Because the way to well, and well done, good and faithful servant is not that everybody else blows it and you blow it less. Does anybody win championships that way? I'm not going to show up at all. I'm just going to hope nobody else shows up either. And if nobody else shows up everywhere else, then perhaps I will be a little better. No, it's a pursuit. It's a pursuit. Jesus is calling us to a pursuit of him. A service, right? Denying self and serving him. Please note, I'm not saying serve the church. I'm saying serve Christ. And, and I'm thankful for all that everyone does around the church. And I'm not saying serving at the church isn't serving Christ. But if you serve for the church, that's not the same thing as serving Christ. You get it? What will happen is you'll get angry. When I'm serving Jesus, it doesn't matter if I have to mop a floor. I'm not upset. If I'm serving the church, if I'm serving men... I'm upset. How come somebody else didn't do this? Why do I got to do this? Why am I taking out the trash? Am I the only one here who can understand that the trash is full? But if I'm serving Christ, none of that stuff rubs me at all. Because for him, it's just serving him, right? So we want to have that attitude. We want to have an attitude that says, man, I want to serve the Lord. Now listen to what Jesus says in, in verse 27. He says, now... Is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come. So Jesus here in John 12 is looking at the cross. I told you we're in the, we're in the final days before the cross. And he says, my soul is troubled. There's, did he feel anxiousness? I think he did. He says he can relate to me because he wore my shoes and I feel anxiousness. The only difference between he and I is he did not sin. Right? But he was in all ways tempted even as I am, yet without sin. I don't think being anxious is a sin. You? Don't read the Psalms. But the psalmist was anxious a lot. But he was anxious finding his answer to his anxiousness in his relationship with the Lord God Almighty. So as we, as we look, I think his soul is troubled. He's like, what shall I say? This is the reason for which I've come. This is it. So he says in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. So we have the realization that the, the cross was true agony for for Christ as he looks forward to it but you have also the realization of the purpose this is the reason I'm here this is what I have come to do and then he, he we see a little bit of insight into his relationship with the father when he calls out and asks the father to be glorified father you be glorified he's teaching us something he's teaching us something about how we ought to pray when our souls are troubled and when we are facing difficult circumstances in our life, what does he ask for? He says, Father, glorify your name. The idea that God be glorified in my circumstance. I, I've seen this beautifully uh, uh, spoken in so many lives over the time. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. I have been at the, beds, uh, at the bedside of a woman who received the acknowledgement from a doctor that she had pancreatic cancer. And he told her she had like a week to live then. And the very first words out of her mouth was, God, may I glorify you in my life that I have left. She actually wrote it on her, on her it's not a chalkboard, it's a marker, whiteboard. She wrote it that I want to, I want to live my life glorifying God be it a week or however long it is. And she lived a year. I have been in the hospital with a father whose young 22-year-old son just died in a motorcycle accident. And I've sat in a ring, in a circle. We're all gathered in a circle at the time and we're praying. 
the, 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 the doctors had just come in and they said, we're going to try one more time, but, but um, if we can, he had punctured a rib and it had punctured his heart and they, they just, as fast as they could get him back, they would lose him again and they're going to try one more time. We're going to try one more time. And so we all got in a circle, all of us from church. This was one of the kids who played football for me and who, who I did his wedding and it's, his children were dedicated and so we're, we're circled up and we're praying, you know, Lord, you can do this, right? God's able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. And so we were sitting with our hands in a circle and we're praying that God would deliver. And the doctor came in and he only got two words out. I'm sorry. And the father of the son stepped forward, lifted his hands to heaven And he praised God for all the time he had had with his son. I've seen it. I've seen the the pictures that we recognize where God is glorified in our pain. And there's, it doesn't, I don't know, I've, I've watched other people do it. I haven't had to endure it myself. I don't know if the pain goes away. There's still tears. There's still mourning. There's still sorrow and sadness. But there is also that blessing of recognizing even what Christ did. Father, you be glorified in what's happening in my life. And so the father responds to the son here in the gospel of John, right? The father Responds, said in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd stood there and heard it, said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And this was something that was, we see in other places in scripture, particularly, whoa, how many lullers are in particularly? (laughs) Particularly. Sometimes it's hard to talk. (laughs) Particularly, there. (laughs) Now I won't be able to do it right. Uh, With with Paul, right? We read in Acts 9-7, Paul speaking about his conversion. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. That's what it says in Acts 9. But in Acts 22-9, it says, Now those who were with me, Paul, referring back to it, Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Multiple times when, when, when God would speak from heaven, some people would say, I heard a voice. Other people would say, it thundered. What was that? Some would say it was an angel. Others would say something else. And I, if I'm honest, I think this is a, a test of the heart of man. What are you tuned into? Do you know? Because most of the time, you could be, if I'm in the middle of Walmart at Christmas, which I'm never. <laughs> I am never at Walmart at Christmas, just, just to be clear. But if I was there, and all the hustle and bustle and everybody running around, and I reached into my pocket and took out a, a, a little bit of change and threw it on the ground, I guarantee you, everybody go, what? Do you hear that? Do you hear that? So, did I just drop money? Yeah? What are you tuned to hear? If you're tuned to hear the, the voice of God, right? If you're tuned in to what, to what God is doing and what God is saying, I think you hear. And John 6.45 says that everyone who has learned from the Father will come to Jesus. It says it is written in the prophets, everyone who has heard from the Father will come. And so... Have you heard, if you're, if you're tuned into the voice of God, you spend time in God's word, you don't miss God's voice. If you're busy about all the parts of life and God speaks, maybe it just sounds like thunder. Remember when Elijah ran and he hid himself in the cave? He's running from Jezebel. Nothing will make a brave man run more than an angry woman. Truth, truth, don't you doubt it. I, you look around, there are not too many guys laughing. They're like, oh, yeah, brother, 
<laughs> That's right. He runs and hides himself in the cave, and the Lord comes, right? And the Lord shows him all these a mighty wind, and he shows him a, a fire, tornado, all these things he sees, but the Lord wasn't in them. What was he in? The still, small voice. And he said to Elijah, what are you doing here? But in order to hear that still small voice, man, you've got to be tuned in. The voice of the Father speaks from the heavens just as it did at his baptism. And some just hear noise. Is it thunder? Is it an angel? But we see the response from heaven to the call of Jesus that God the Father be glorified. Now he goes on, and we see the revelation of Jesus of his death. He says in verse 30, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Yeah, did God the Father need to speak out loud for Jesus to hear him? No. Did he have to roll away the stone to rise from the dead? No. Who did he roll away the stone for? Us, right? Who does The Father speaks audibly. He's speaking for those who have ears to hear. Yes? Jesus said, look, the Father spoke this for your sake, not mine. He says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. What is the power of the death of Christ? Well, in the death of Christ is the judgment of the world. The world will be judged. This is what he declared. The judgment of the world. In John 9, 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The judgment, everything in this world now is divided into those who are with him or against him. That's what Jesus said. Two categories, right? You are either for me or against me. There's nothing in the middle. There's no middle, right? You heard the old story, the devil owns the fence, right? I've just been sitting here on the fence trying to decide which side of the fence to go to. The devil owns the fence. There's no third side for him or against him. Jesus said, don't think I came to bring peace, but a sword. What is the sword? The sword divides, right? Divides between the saved and the lost. He is the, the hinge. He is the point. He is the, the thing that all history has been focused toward. In, in this is the judgment of the world. The world has been judged. You are for me or against me. You are with me or you are not. He said the ruler of the world is cast out. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The ruler of this world is cast out. Death is defeated. Death, this great thing that everybody has been so afraid of throughout all of history, has become nothing more than the doorway to Christ. The scripture declares, oh death, where is your victory? The victory of death was the price of sin, separation from God. That has, been, that has been taken care of. He has nailed those things, those charges against us. He has taken them out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. The ruler has been cast out. The, the battle with death is over. The devil is defeated. We do not fight for victory as believers. We fight from victory. Our victory is assured. Christ has won it. The battle is over. It's done. 
It is finished. He has won. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This reason the ruler of this world has been cast out. He's removed. I love the, the, the scripture in, in Revelation that the, when the angel comes and he drives the banner of the Lord into the earth and he says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. This is mine. I like that. And I, I love the fact that, that that has occurred in my life. That my life has become the life that belongs to my God and to his Christ. I am his. I told you I'm no prize. But I'm his. Lock, stock, and barrel. It's all his. The last thing he declares, the last promise here in the power of his death, is the drawing of sinners. He declares, right? And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. In uh, John 3, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world. You know some of this, right? That, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets... They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. This is the work that Christ has come to accomplish. This is the power of his death. So the people had a problem in verse 34. So the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. So how can he die? You're the Christ and you're going to die. We don't understand because the Bible says that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? They know what he's talking about. They know that he's talking about his death. How can you say that the Christ will be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Who is this Son of Man? They're referring to, to Micah 4.7. Micah 4.7 at the time of Messiah says, The lame I will make the remnant. Those who, are, who were cast off I will make a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. The kingdom of Christ is eternal. It's an eternal kingdom. Who is this son of man? It refers to Daniel chapter 7. We've read this a number of times. Daniel 7 verse 13. I saw in the night vision to behold with the clouds of heaven. There came one like the son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, the one that shall not be destroyed. So the people are curious how this all works out. Don't we feel that way sometimes? How's all this work out? What's going on, Lord? How will all of these things come together? How will all of these things work out? So Jesus said to them, here's what he said. This is the answer to your question and theirs. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. Jesus is saying, abide in me, and I will abide in you. I am the light of the world. He is the light through which we ought to interpret the events of the world around us. 
not through our politics, not through our uh, own reasoning. We should interpret everything through the light of Christ. All things through his light. He's the light. I will be with you a little while longer. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. What does that tell me when I go, what's going on? Jackie, you're in the darkness. Lord, where are you? Jesus says, when, when you're walking around and you don't know where you're going, you're in the dark. Turn on the light. The light of the world is Jesus Christ. He is the light. Draw near to the Lord. It is possible for us to forget that the light is there. Walk around in the darkness and I can't see. You ever been in a room, been focused on something? Sometimes I'm in my office and I'm studying. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing it's getting harder and harder for me to read. Because the light's not on and it's dark. Oh, I need to turn on the light. How do we turn on the light practically? For them, Christ is with them. How do we turn on the light? We turn on the word of God. We interpret all things through his word. We stand fast on his word. It's the word of God that is our light. It is the presence of his spirit guiding and leading. We have to draw near. We stay in the place. We stand there with the Lord and we say, God, shine your light on this. Job one time declared to the Lord and to the people who were listening to him. One day, I'm going to get to talk to God about this. This is a Jackie paraphrase. Just in case you didn't know that wasn't a direct quote from the Bible. One day, I'm going to talk to God about this, and I've got some questions for him. And I will make my case to God that I have done nothing that deserves these things that have happened in my life. And Job wasn't wrong. One day, he did. God came to Job and he said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? When I created the universe? When I made behemoth and Leviathan, where were you, Job? And the Bible says, in the presence of God, Job opened not his mouth. Why? Listen, don't miss this. Why? Because he had light to see. Because in the light of his relationship with God, in the presence of God, all the stuff that, that happened in his life, all that stuff he didn't understand, comes together in God's presence. That's the great hope. That's our great understanding. The Lord declares... More than one time than when he comes, he'll wipe away every tear. Why? Because you have sorrows that you're having to deal with, don't you? I know a woman who lost her son through suicide this year, who is wrecked, totally wrecked. And the only thing that I know that she needs is the light of Christ in her life. And it's so hard to watch, to feel the pain and the sorrow, but I know the promise of God. He says, in his presence, he will do what? Wipe away every tear, every sorrow. Our understanding fades away in the light of Christ. In the light of Christ, we have... Our answers. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. But while you have the light, believe in the light and you will become sons of the light. And when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So, still moving toward our final discourses. Jesus is laying out for them. Hey, the Greeks say they want to see you. Well, they can only see me through my death. And that is rapidly approaching but we don't understand why are you talking about your death why are you talking about these things well for just a little while longer the light is here walk in the light believe in the light you'll be sons of the light 
the light brings understanding. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity. Lord Jesus, to draw near. God, may we be found faithful. May we be found pursuers of you. May the lives we live out today be lives founded in the uh, crucifixion of Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. May we find life in your presence. May we find light in your presence. May you grant understanding. Help us to be the men and women servants that you want us to be within the body of Christ. And in and through it all, God, may you be glorified in this place as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.